Hello, everyone. My name is Rick Hawkins. I'm the pastor of Quest Church. I want to thank all of you for joining us today. You're about to hear a word that is informative, insightful, and inspirational. If you'd like to support our ministry, you can go to questchurch.com. Enjoy the message. Acts chapter 2 and verse 1. And when the day of Pentecost was fully come, they were all with one accord in one place. They were all with one accord in one place. Verse 41. Then they that gladly received his word were baptized. And the same day, there were added unto them about 3,000 souls. Verse 42. And they continued steadfastly. Listen to this. And they continued steadfastly in the apostles' doctrine and in fellowship and in breaking of bread and in prayers. And they continued steadfastly in the apostles' doctrine and in fellowship and in breaking of bread and in prayers. Let's jump to Psalm 133. Psalm 133. Behold how good and how pleasant it is for brethren to dwell together in unity. It is like, what is like? When brethren dwell together in unity, it is like the precious oil upon the head running down on the beard the beard of Aaron running down on the edge of his garments it is like the dew of Hermon descending upon the mountains of Zion listen to this for there the Lord commanded the blessing I'm going to say that again for there the Lord commanded the blessing life forevermore we'll take our text this morning from verse 42 of acts chapter 2 and they continued steadfastly in the apostles doctrine and in fellowship and in breaking of bread and in prayers we'll speak this morning on the subject when we all get together when we all get together dear lord we love you today i just want to say thank you you deserve all the praise all the glory all the honor we've given you that today God I feel you here and I'm asking that your anointing settle down in this room because it's your anointing that breaks the yoke it's the anointing that mends a broken heart it's your anointing that heals an infirmity God it's your anointing that makes the difference so we ask you God let your anointing have its way in this building today Anoint me your vessel as I begin to declare your word to your people. These are your people. They're not my people. They belong to you. And God, I'm asking you as your vessel, as your tool, as your instrument this morning. God, that you would speak through me and play me like only you can. God, you know that my vocabulary is not sufficient enough to deliver this word to your people. But God, you are the word. And so I'm asking that you have your way and as your word go forth God it would break down strongholds it would rebuke generational curses it would beat back devils in Jesus name that God it would go forth like a hammer God breaking down walls of division God that as I preach today God that your word would be planted in the hearts of men it would be planted in good ground and God it would bring forth much fruit and fruit that remains in Jesus name God, we have faith in you. We glorify you. We give you honor and glory and praise. In Jesus' name, amen and amen. Come on, put your hands together one more time and lift up a shout of praise. Come on, he inhabits the praises of his people. Really give him one more shout of praise like you're expecting something from him this morning. Like you came in this building with a need. Like you came in this building needing something from him. Lift up your voice this morning. Tell somebody near you, when we all get together, and you may have your seat. 
when I first said this title in the uh, staff meeting the other day, they started singing the song. But it was younger folk that were singing the song, so they sang it wrong. <laughs> they said, when we all get together, that's not the song. How's the song go? To heaven, yeah. <laughs> the young people on the front row are like, what in the world is this? I remember everybody's still singing. <laughs> when we all get together. There's something about the gathering of God's people, amen? Uh, all throughout the Old Testament, you hear God declare, I am your God and you are my people. I am your God and you are my people. Proverbs chapter 13 and verse 12 says this, hope deferred makes the heart sick. But when the desire comes, it is a tree of life. Hope deferred makes the heart sick, but when the desire comes, it is a tree of life. I wrote this, and so I'll just read it this morning. Life is a continual pursuit of what's next. When God made us, he deposited inside of us a desire for better a desire for more, a desire for purpose. Genesis 1.28, we know this. God commands his creation, and it's a command because he says it to him. Anytime God speaks like this, it is, in fact, a command. Genesis 1.28, be fruitful and multiply, have dominion. Through this command, it's easy to see that God deposited in us a desire for more. Each of us are born and we live with this desire for more and for better. Do you agree with that? Amen. Even after a great accomplishment that we might experience, it's natural for us. To say, okay, what's next? Right? Here's an example. Yesterday, the great LSU Tigers beat Alabama. They've been waiting eight long years for that. But here's the thing. It was just a regular season game. It seemed like an insurmountable task because of how long they had been losing to them. So the focus at the end of the game shouldn't be on the victory, but on who's next. Because when it's all said and done, it's just one game. They haven't won their division. They haven't won their conference. And they sure haven't even made a playoff yet. They just won a game. And I think for us, it's important to grasp that concept. That when we have these big highs, it's awesome to spend some time and thanking the Lord for that accomplishment, for that feeling, for that growth, for that gain. Amen. In a very simple example, the conference for us was a really great accomplishment for us as a church body. But as our pastor did the very next week, it's time to focus on what's next. What's next? As a result of this command, each of us have inside of us this natural desire and inclination for more and for better. Amen. When the desire comes, the verse says, the proverb says, when the desire comes, it's a tree of life. It's a tree of life. A tree is a perfect example of the progression and cycle that God instilled in the earth for growth. A tree is the perfect representation of that. We see it. We see it especially here in Oklahoma because we actually have seasons here. And so you see the tree. You see it flourish with its fruit and with its leaves. You see it change. You see it get bare. 
And then you see that cycle happen all over again next year. And each year this tree grows. And each year this tree produces fruit. And each year this tree progresses in what it is. Because it's the natural progression and cycle that God instilled in the earth for growth and for produce and for production. Even in his creation. That's why the Bible would say a desire fulfilled is like the tree of life. But the challenge in life, the challenge in life, the challenge in life is when we have experienced so many disappointments. When we experience a series of disappointments. When we experience loss. When we experience defeat. Then at that point, the hope for more is stripped from us. Hope deferred makes the heart sick. It literally means this. It makes us weak. Or it makes us tired. Hope deferred makes us weak. It makes us tired. Many of us in this room have been there. We've been right there. I know I have. Where I had an expectation that God was going to do something. Or I had an expectation in myself to accomplish something. Or I had an expectation in a relationship to produce something in my life only to be disappointed because our greatest expectations have the potential to produce our greatest disappointments. And so many of us in this room have been right there where we've been disappointed. We've been defeated. We've experienced loss. And as a result, we're just tired of it. We're just weak as a result of it. We don't have the same fervor or fire to keep pressing forward because of the constant buffeting against our spirit. Many of us in this room have experienced that, but there are even others in this room that that's your present reality. That's where you sit today. You sit in that space. You sit in that chair where your hope has been deferred. It literally means hope deferred to drag on or to be delayed or to be postponed. Have you ever felt that way? Like the promise of God is taking just a little bit too long to get right here. Like we actually know when that should manifest in our life better than God does. But I've been there. This is taking way too long. Especially in a culture like ours where everything is instant and right at our fingertips. If there's anything you want to know, you just go to the Google. And there it is. And yes, I said the Google. Because I knew my son would like that. <laughs> but there's many here that feel like your destiny, your purpose, your promise is delayed. It's postponed. It's dragging on. Will it ever get there? This delay is costing me more than I anticipated to pay for this. This hope is deferred. This hope is deferred. And as a result, we say things like, you know what, forget it. It ain't worth it. It ain't worth going through all that. It ain't worth pressing that hard. It ain't worth that sacrifice. It ain't worth the price I have to pay for this. Forget it. Forget it. I'll just be satisfied to be right here where I am and go through the motions. Wake up, do the thing, go home, that's it. And I'm satisfied with that because you know what? I'm content. I'm satisfied. And the last thing I want to experience is more disappointment. The last thing I want to do is risk myself, put my neck on the line only to feel another defeat or to take on another scar or to be bruised one more time. This morning, I felt it my obligation to come by this morning and encourage somebody's spirit that you may be tired, you may be weak, but my Bible tells me that his strength is made perfect in my weakness. And his grace is sufficient for me. And he who began a good thing in me shall complete it. That's somebody's word this morning. 
So we're not preaching on Proverbs 13, 12, that hope is deferred. But I did want to come by and encourage you this morning. Don't give up. Don't let up. Don't stop sacrificing. Don't stop serving. Don't stop doing what God told you to do. Because his strength is being perfected right up in the midst of your weakness. I need somebody to give God praise this morning. When we all get together. When we all get together. Pastor Rick last week turned our attention towards community. Some people caught that. Some missed it. And I'll just share it again. He's turning our attention, the attention of Quest Church toward community. What does that mean? Not just community in the sense of of joining the hugs ministry and reaching out to our communities for those that are in need, but the community of Quest Church, the family unit called Quest Church. So yes, over the next couple months, we're going to do a lot to reach out to our community, but we're also going to do a lot to reach within this community right here and make the bonds of this beautiful assembly of God's people tighter and stronger because it's in the, it's in when the people of God gather that God rests in there and things happen. Amen. Amen. So last week he introduced these four areas, these four basic needs, and I feel like it's necessary to go ahead and review the four basic needs of every human is on this wise. Number one, purpose, purpose, knowing why you are here, knowing why you are here. Security, security, knowing everything is going to be all right. Number four or three, identity, identity, knowing who you are. And number four, acceptance, knowing you are loved. He said these words right here. Today, last week he focused on identity. This week we're going to focus on acceptance or belonging. So he said this statement last week. He said, the sense of being and belonging are essential in a person's life in order for them to enjoy the safe place called significant. I'll say it again. The sense of being and belonging are essential in a person's life in order for them to enjoy the place called or the safe place called significant. When you can say, I know who I am, and I know where I belong, you can easily understand that everything's going to be all right, and I know why I'm here. So the foundational aspect of the things we need as a human being are purpose, right? We got purpose, security, identity, and acceptance. And in order to get purpose and security shirt up in our life, you have to first know who you are and know that you belong. So we established who we are last week. We established it in this wise. Number one, we walk in who God said we are. We don't walk in who our neighbor said we are. We don't walk in who our friends say we are. We don't walk in who we think we are sometimes. We walk in who God said we are. Well, I'm confused, preacher. I don't know what God said I am or who he said I am. Well, I encourage you. That thing we call the Bible is chock full of everything God says about you. You heard Pastor Rick declare it over you last week. Let me just rehearse it. You are more than a conqueror in Christ Jesus. You are the head and not the tail. You are above only and not beneath. You are blessed in the city. You are blessed in the field. You are blessed when you come. You are blessed when you go. You are healed because of the stripes that were put on his back. You are saved by grace. You are justified by your faith. I'm telling you right now, God said some great things about you. And you don't have to believe the lies or the press clippings of everybody else. You are not a loser. You are a winner in Jesus' name. That is who you are. That is who you are. I used to hear an old preacher say this. When you're on God's side, you're on the winning side. And when you're on the devil's side, you're on the losing side. Because the devil, he is a loser. And if you want to walk with him, expect to be a loser. But when you're on God's side, you're on the winning side. I know what God said about me, so I don't need to hear it from you. Affirmation feels good sometimes, but thank God that he loved me enough to write it all down in that book. Thank God he wrote it all down in that book. So last week we came to an understanding of who we are. Today we have to move on or graduate our understanding into the space called belonging. The space called belonging. Built into the nature of every human is the need for acceptance and to belong. That is an innate 
natural fact. Psychologists call it the psychology of belonging. Now, I'm not a psychologist, so I'm not going to try to recite this to you, so I'm just going to read what the psychologist said. <laughs> I'm not that smart, and I'm glad I'm not. That's a lot of knowledge to be putting up in one brain. Side note, young people, it's okay to not know everything. That's why it's important for all of us to get together. Because you're not supposed to know everything. And that's why God gave you parents. Because they do know everything. No, I'm not kidding. <laughs> The psychology of belonging. Belonging is the emotional need to be accepted. Belonging is the emotional need to be accepted, whether by family or friends or coworkers or religion, something else. People have an inherent desire to belong and to be a part of something greater than themselves. It's natural. Belonging is a relationship that's greater than a simple acquaintance or to be familiar with something. The need to belong is the need to give and to receive from others. Without belonging, one cannot identify themselves clearly, thus having difficulties with communication and acceptance in their surroundings. Belonging is such a fundamental human motivation that we feel severe consequences of a lack of belonging. If it wasn't so fundamental, then the lack of belonging wouldn't have such dire consequences on us and in our society. Inevitably, in most tragedies or, or horrific things that happen in our nation, it is the result of somebody who was isolated and didn't fully belong. Or, because they didn't belong, they attached themselves to something that was pseudo pseudo that was superficial that wasn't real and so that that attachment distorted the identity of the thing it distorted reality and identity so now I can attach myself to this I can alter or adapt who I really am so that I can fit into this space called belonging the violation this is a violation of the authentic design that God built in you. This is because what, what, what I just said is we take on the, because I don't belong, because I've been rejected, or because I don't fit, now what I need to do is kind of transform the way I act, the way I speak, the way I dress. I got to transform my actions, my being, my essence, so that I do. So that I do belong. And so as a result, we violate the authenticity of who we are. That's what the devil wants from you. If he can get you to violate the essence of who you are, he knows he has you. Genesis, when he approaches Eve, did God really say? Did he really say you're more than a conqueror? Because from my vantage point, it looks like every obstacle you face whips you. That don't look like a conqueror to me. Did God really say that you are healed? You've been sick for six months. You haven't been healed yet. But did God really say that? Did he really say that? Did he say you're the head and not the tail? But you, you've been working at the bottom of the rung the whole time. Ain't been promoted one time. Are you really the head? Did God really say that? Because if he can get you to compromise your being, he knows he can distort the whole purpose that's wrapped around you. When you distort the purpose that God has placed in you and distort who you really are, that's when crazy ideas and I, I, I'm trying to be careful with this word, but it's the reality. We pervert a reality. So now, 
instead of understanding who I am, my true identify, I, I, my, my true identity, I identify as. I identify as, but if you, I, okay, so let's really, let's hit, let's just hit it and, and move on because it's the, the elephant in the room. So if I identify as a female and you're responsible to accept me as a female, even if you do accept that, right? And I do whatever it needs to happen so that I represent a female, Right? If you still take my DNA, you know what it says? I'm a man. Doesn't matter what you do. Doesn't matter how much you alter yourself. Doesn't matter how you dress. Doesn't matter how you talk. You are who you are. And God told you who you are. So don't act any different than that. To belong, to belong, you have to first understand who you are. Don't find identity in anything other than the word of God and what he spoke over your life. And that deserves a hand clap and an amen in Jesus' name. He was a young person. God spoke purpose over you. The fact that you're in this room tells me that God determined it for you to be here today. He thought that in eternity past. And if that be true, then don't violate who you are to be accepted into a group that doesn't count. That's why bullying is a strategy of the devil. That's why prejudice is a strategy of the devil. That's why racism is a strategy of the devil. God made us different, to act different, to be different, to have different strengths, because that's the glory of God. Don't look down on somebody because they look different than you. When we all get together, when we all get together. Let's go back to our text. I don't have much time, so I'm, I may skip through some of this, but I'm going to give you the best I can. Let's get back to the text. And they continued. This is an important statement. And they continued steadfastly. They continued steadfastly in the apostles' doctrine and fellowship and in breaking of bread and in prayers, and in prayers. Now, I'm not going to go in the order that they gave it to us because the point of this, this discourse by the, uh, I think it was Luke who wrote Acts. could be wrong, but I think it was Luke who wrote it. When he wrote this, it wasn't to say that it was in this order. It was to say that these are, this is what they were doing, and this was the result. So I'm not going to give it to you in the order, but I'm going to give it to you as the Lord impressed it on me, all right? So here we go. They continued steadfastly. It literally means to be constant or consistent, to be constant or consistent. In other words, you can count on it. You can count on it. Something that gives you, this is what it literally means in the Greek, something that gives you the advantage. Something that gives you the advantage. Consistency, what I've learned in my life, wins the day. Consistency wins the day. My best friends have been consistent with me. We haven't always been on the up and up, but they've always been consistent. My, my greatest skills were a result of my consistency to apply myself to them. Amen. My promotions came as a result of my consistency. I'm just speaking of my experience. My experience says that consistency wins the day. That's just a nugget of truth for some, somebody. So they continued steadfastly in these four things. In prayers, in breaking of bread, in the apostles' doctrine, and in fellowship. So let's start with the first, the first one I want to focus on is in prayer. Somebody say that, in prayers. In prayer. in prayer. So when I first read this, I thought, man, they must have a bunch of prayer meetings. They have a bunch of prayer meetings. And it's crazy because they have these prayer meetings, and the Bible says that it's added to them daily. If you keep reading past verse 42 down to, I think, verse 47 in Acts, it says add, they were added to them daily. And there were 3,000 added in that one day, right? 3,000 in that one day. And I ain't never been to a prayer meeting that they were added daily. I'm just, <laughs> I'm just being honest. We have church on Sunday morning, and we have probably 500 people in the room right now. If we have a prayer meeting tonight, there'd probably be 75. Why? Because there's certain people called to prayer. Not everybody does it or gathers for it. So I was confused by this, and so I really dug into it. You know what the word in prayers means here in the Greek? Literally, it means this. 
a set place for worship. I don't know why it would be translated that way, but it literally means a set place for worship. It doesn't mean supplications. It doesn't mean petitions. It means a set place for worship. Am I boring anybody this morning? I hope I'm helping somebody. There has to be a difference between this place and every other place you go to. There has to be a difference between this place, I'll say it again, and every other place you go to. There has to be a difference or a distinction between your church and every other place you frequent. There has to be a difference. The advantage of the early church was this. The reason there was constant growth with the early church is because they continued steadfastly in their gathering at a set place of worship. They continued in it. They continued in it. The church in this generation has been relegated to the church is just another place. It's not a place that I continue steadfastly in. When I was young, I was taught that this was the most important institution that I set my feet in every, at any point during the week. I'm going to say that again. When I was a kid, I was taught that when I walked in the church, it was the most important institution that I set my feet in all week long. It was more important than my house. It was more important than the schoolhouse. It was more important than the courthouse. It was more important than our workplace. It was the most important place that I set my feet in all week long. Why? Because this was God's place. This is God's house. And if any other institution had more value than God's house, then where do I place God in that equation? This is the most important institution that I set my feet in all week long. So it's not on me to, to relegate it or to devalue this place to something less than. When we were young, we went to church every time the church came together. I mean... When I think about it, some of you will identify with this. When I think about it, we had church on Sunday morning. And on Sunday morning, we had two or three services and Sunday school. Then we had Sunday night church, right, every Sunday night. Then Monday may be a day off. But Tuesday, we had prayer meeting. Then Wednesday, we had midweek. Then Thursday, we had praise team practice. Some people had drama practice. Then on Friday, we had small groups. Saturday may or may not be a day off. But we might go up to the church to clean it because it might be our turn to go to the church and clean it. Because back then, the people of the church cleaned the church. They didn't hire a custodial staff to clean the house because the people of God took care of the house. And then Sunday morning, we started it all over again. What did I just tell you? We enacted the prayer of David and that we may dwell in the courts of the Lord all the days of our lives because it wasn't just any place. It was God's place. We didn't set it less than. It was greater than because it was the most important place. I dare you, I challenge you, I beseech you, whatever words you want to give yourself to reevaluate your value that you place on the house of God. Those of you who are watching online, I challenge you right now in the name of Jesus. If you're in the city limits or within 30 miles, get in your car and drive to church next week. There's just some things you can't experience outside of these four walls. You might watch it online and feel some goosebumps, but there's just a difference in being in the house of God. They continued steadfastly, steadfastly in prayers, in prayers, in prayers. This has to be a beacon of hope has to be so I drive to work every morning I this is where I work <laughs> I come here every day and go home sometimes I go a different way but usually it's the same way um, and so what I have to do is I go down 35 south I cross over the bridge I exit 9 and I go west right if I'm coming here Coming east on 9, I get on 35 north, and I cross over the bridge. Okay? You guys with me so far? All right. Not every day. Not every day. But most days, there is somebody walking on that bridge. They're either walking south or they're walking north. I've been on that bridge when it's pouring rain, and they're walking south. I've been on that bridge when it's freezing outside and they're walking north. Some of them look like they're on their last leg. Some of them don't look that bad. 
but they're walking south or they're walking north. And I was so confused for the first little while. What was going on with these people walking? And where are they coming from? And where are they going? Because all the neighborhoods ain't right there on the other side of the bridge. They're way down the way. Or way the other way. There's nothing over there but like a tractor supply place. But, oh, wait a minute. There is. There's a casino. So, I'm not here to bash the casinos. Here's what I came to say. They're willing to walk. In whatever weather, I have a hard time sometimes. My office is in that corner of the building. You could probably tell by the shape I'm in that I don't always like to walk from that corner of the building to that corner of the building. And when I have to, sometimes I'm bothered. And I wish that the golf cart that they keep over here, they kept over there. So I could drive it over here. And these people are walking across a bridge, miles, to go to this place or to go home. Why? And it occurred to me. Because they're willing to go there because it represents this. The little I have could possibly, luckily, become much if I go there. It represents hope for something better, for something more. And I've given up so much on my life that I only believe that's the only place that can get me there. And we can't even get them in a car and bring them here. Because we've, it's time for the people of God to continue, listen to these words, continue steadfastly in prayers, in getting to the house of God. I challenge you, make it more important than just where you go on Sunday morning. In Jesus' name. I'm going to rush through the next two points because I have some place I want to land. The second point is breaking of bread. They continued steadfastly in breaking of bread, and I won't belabor this point. I'll just say this. That's relationship. That's friendship. That's beyond we just know each other. That's breaking of bread. I'm going to sit down and eat with you. I'm going to spend some time with you. And it wasn't superficial with the apostles. They spent time with each other. They invested in each other. Pastor Rick says it like this. Relationship is the currency of the kingdom. It's the network of life. What does that mean? It's the currency of the kingdom. It's the value system of the kingdom. It's how we exchange. It's how we exchange what we have. It's I'm willing to break bread. Bread always was symbolic of the body. I'm willing to break of myself to sustain you. Breaking of bread. I'm willing to break off a piece of myself to help you. That's what it was. And we were, they continued steadfastly in this. They didn't have superficial relationships. They had true, genuine, authentic relationships with one another. Why? Because they were of the same goal. They were of the same mind. They were the same people. And I have to break um, this. If Young people, let me give you this. If you can belong anywhere, belong right here in this church. If nobody at school accepts you, say okay with that. I'm very okay with that. But you guys love one another in this place. You love one another at youth group. You love one another here because that's what matters. I've, I'm 41 years old. I'm 41 years old. I have lifelong friends. Friends that I've had my entire life. Justin Harbert, I've been in a relationship with for over 20 years. Crystal Harbert, I've been friends with her for 28 years. Pastor Rick has been in my life for almost 30 years. Dustin Hawkins has been my brother for almost 30 years. What am I saying? I'm naming people that have been in my life almost my entire life. And I didn't meet them at school. I met them right in the house of God. And those relationships I can still count on. I can trust them when I can't trust nobody else. I can call on them when I make my biggest mistakes. And they're going to take care of me and cover me. And make sure that what I've inflicted on myself ain't going to get any worse. They broke bread with one another. Some of you in this congregation need to hear that. Some of the relationships you have may be toxic in your life and you don't know where else to turn. You're in a good place to find that. They continued steadfastly in breaking of bread. Number three, number three, 
They continued steadfastly in prayers. They had a set place. They continued steadfastly in the breaking of bread. They had a relationship. And this one I like. They continued steadfastly in the apostles' doctrine. In the apostles' doctrine. You cannot have community without proper communication. They come from the same root word, commune. You can't have community without proper communication. Verse 41 of our text says, they gladly received the word. They gladly received the word. Doctrine literally means instruction or teaching. They continued steadfastly in the apostles' doctrine. There is a power behind the apostles' word that's not the same as everybody else's word. I want you to hear this. The word apostle comes from the Greek word proton. Proton. We know that word, proton, because it's the positive force in the makeup of an atom. It's the positive force in the makeup of an atom. So apostle has that positive force. The apostles were the ones responsible to take what Jesus did and said and multiply it. It was their responsibility to take everything that Jesus did in those three years and multiply it. The church wasn't established with Jesus Christ. The church was established upon the message of Jesus Christ by the apostles. The apostle is the sent one or the one God sent to give me the word. I don't need just another preacher. I don't need to get on Instagram and fill my head up with every latest crazed word that's out there. I don't need that. That's fun. You can learn a lot. They have a lot of revelation. But what I need is my man of God who stands behind this pulpit every Sunday and every Wednesday and declares the word of God over my life. Why? Because God sent him for me. I'm not going to get a lot of amens on this. I'm not going to get a lot of amen. That's why people are disappointed when Pastor Rick ain't preaching because that's their man of God and they want to hear from him because he has the oracles and the word of God for their life. That's not puffing somebody up. That's the truth of the word of God. God sent him for us. The apostles' word. This is his assignment. You know what? Sometimes, not sometimes, most of the time, Pastor Rick can see the word of God better than I can. It's just the truth. It's the simple truth. He can hear from God better than I can. You want to know why? That's his assignment. That's his job. Have you ever been in a service and you, you, you read, he read a verse of scripture to you and you're like, man, I know that verse of scripture. I know what he's going to say. And then he blows your mind with something you didn't even see. Right? You know why? Because that's his job. He is supposed to be available to the Lord for the Lord to speak to him what you need. How many times have you said he must have been in my living room this week? He must have known exactly what I was going through this week. How did he know to say that right now? I can't believe God, what, somebody been telling on me. No, because God does that. God does that. They continued in their apostles, in the apostles' doctrine. They were committed, not just to the house of God, but to their man of God. Isn't that powerful? Isn't that powerful? The sheep know their shepherd's voice. All right, let's get to the last point. Let's get to the last point. This is where I want to. Uh, we'll be done in five minutes. We'll be done in five minutes. Isn't that what every preacher says? They continued steadfastly in prayers and breaking of bread in the apostles' doctrine. And lastly, they can continued steadfastly in fellowship. In fellowship. When we all get together. It literally means community. That's what the word literally means in the Greek. Community or joint participation. Fellowship with others. The word community means fellowship with others as a result of sharing common attitudes or a common interest or a goal. A group of independent organisms that come together for one common purpose or to stay in one common habitat. That's a definition of it. Different backgrounds, different cultures, different professions, different callings, different experiences, different occupations, different colors, different nationalities. Look around you, different ages. Different, but all with one agenda. All with one. You know the power of having home field advantage? You have 102,000 people in a stadium. In any other setting, they'd be quarreling. 
But in that setting, when you get them in that place, wearing the same jerseys, the same colors, they give the team the advantage because they're all together in one accord. Acts 2.1. They came together in one place in one accord. Listen to this. It literally means one mind and one passion. It's a unique Greek word in that it's, it's a compound word. It's two words. It literally means uh, to rush along in unison. In other words, your agreement in this house has the ability to give you the advantage. Okay, what do you mean? What do you mean, Pastor Josh? Let's just wrap this up in this, in this context. I'm going to give you an example, and then I'm going to share the, the baseline of this word. So the military, we honored the military today. Well, I honored the military today. There's, I think we honored five branches, am I right? This morning. There's five branches of the military. The power of the military is that they, they may have, there's different branches, but they all have the same agenda. Right? And so it doesn't, in the end, it doesn't matter what your opinion is. Am I speaking truth when I say this? I wasn't in the military. It doesn't matter what your opinion is. You have your assignment. And everybody is on that common understanding that we have this assignment. And so whatever the mission is, that's our assignment, and we accomplish that. And sometimes the military will place us in different locations based on how our country needs our service to be. It's a perfect picture of how God places his people. He places them in a specific place to accomplish a specific assignment that he gave to them. Now, I read two texts this morning, Psalm 133 and, and, and Acts chapter 2. When they come together in unity, how good and pleasant it is when they come together in unity because, because it is like, right? It is like God, uh, Jesus, Acts chapter 2 is built on the premise of a promise. It's built on the premise of a promise. Jesus promised them if they go to this specific place that I will send the promise of the Holy Spirit to you. You have to go there, you have to gather, you have to pray. So we have different nationalities, different ages, different people, different backgrounds, all in one place, waiting on a promise. David says how good and how pleasant it is when the brothers gather together in unity because it is like. What is it like? It is like the anointing. It is like the oil. It is like the oil. It is like the oil. What is the anointing? The anointing is the empowerment and the enablement of God. That's what the anointing is. It's the empowerment and the enablement of God. We know this, that the anointing breaks the yoke. We know this, the anointing sets the captive free. We know this, the anointing brings healing. We know this, that the anointing makes the difference. Am I right? Okay, so it is what? Like. It is not it. It is like. So when the people of God come together, it is like this. It is like this. So in Genesis 11... I'm jumping all over the word here, but I'm trying to finish in good time. Genesis 11, we have the Tower of Babel. And everybody's building this tower to heaven. And God tells himself, let us, even he's in unity, let us go down there and see what's going on. So he goes down and he looks and he says, behold, this people are one. Because of it, Nothing will be restrained from them. Anything they imagine to do, they can do. So let's go confuse their language. Because you can't have community without communication, right? So Psalm 133, they all gather in, one, in unity. It is like the anointing. In, Saul, in Acts 2, they're all gathered in one place, in one accord. Why is it so important to gather? Why is it so important, Christian, for me and you to really come into a working relationship with one another? Not because we work here, but because I love you, man. I care for you. I see the call of God on your life, and it's important for me as somebody that's been down the road a little bit to share whatever I can share because you know what? God put me here for such a time as this, and that's my assignment. I can't withhold that from you. I can't, I'd be cheating you. And you know what? That's, that's, I almost want, that's demonic. God called us together. Do you know what happens when we all get together? That's why people can actually get healed in this building. Because it's like 
the anointing. It's like the anointing. Gino, you can come. I don't want to belabor the point, but I do want to leave you with this. Mark, I think it's Mark 2, is uh, the story where Jesus enters into a house. And it was noised abroad that he was there. That in itself will preach. When Jesus is in the house, people come. And so there were so many people in the house that they couldn't get any more in the building. But there was a paralytic that was in need. And they couldn't get him to Jesus. But they were all gathered in one place. And so these four guys decide, let's take the roof off this place. Because their gathering created an opening for him. Because there was enough people in the room that something could happen. And so watch, they do. They rip off the roof. They didn't have a need. The paralytic had the need. The paralytic was broken. The paralytic was hurting. The paralytic couldn't move. He's the one that couldn't attain what God assigned him for. He was the one strapped to a bed. He wasn't living in the blessed life. He wasn't living his best life now. He was the one hurting. But because they were gathered, they saw. And because they saw, they were willing to climb up on a roof, ruin somebody's house, and drop this man in front of Jesus. And they drop him in front of Jesus. And Jesus says what he has no choice but to say. Because of your faith, because of your faith, he is going to be made whole. Because any, when they're in one place, in one accord, when the brothers are gathered together in unity, there is a commanded blessing. There is a commanded blessing. Nothing will be restrained from them. Anything they imagine themselves to do, they can do. And so Jesus has no choice. It's part of what he made. Because they were there with one agenda, with one accord, he had to be made whole.